0: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily podcast presented by BetFred Sports. My name is Zach Kurl. I am your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball now until the end of the Final Four. The road will end there in Atlanta. And we have a very special episode of College Hoops Daily here today. I'm actually not gonna be doing today's show alone, as us here at Aaron Torres Media, we made a big announcement today. We made a big addition former D1 head basketball coach, Jamie Christian. He is the newest member of the Aaron Torres media family. And he is going to be joining me on this podcast throughout the college basketball season. He's going to be joining Aaron on his podcast throughout the college basketball season. And we're really excited to have him on with us here today. Coach Christian, what's going on? Really excited to have you here. And for the rest of the season, what's going on, man?
1: I'm doing great, man. Just like you and our fans out there are getting a chance to watch a very interesting year of college basketball as we've got some teams emerging and we got some teams kind of becoming who they are for the rest of the year. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. And last night, it was another crazy night of college hoops action. We're going to get into it all. And Coach Christian, you know, there is one place for us to start from last night in Lexington. The University of South Carolina goes into Kentucky and shocks the Wildcats. They win that game 71-68. to Kentucky is now 10-6. and and after entering this season as a top 10 ranked team, a team with major expectations, they are now all of a sudden kind of creeping towards that NCAA tournament bubble. I'm not 100% sure if we could say right now definitively that Kentucky is going to be an NCAA tournament team. So, Coach, my first question for you is when you watch Kentucky from a coach's perspective, what exactly stands out? What is wrong with this team and what does John Calipari have to do to fix it?
1: Well, I think it's as interesting a group as Coach Cal Perry's had. And, you know, I think Oscar Shibwe is one of the more one of the more uh productive players on paper that you get a chance to watch in college basketball. You see his double doubles, you see his rebounds. But I think where they're really struggling at is that he's often the very best player on the floor for them. And I think Oscar really thrives when he's sort of the third or fourth best player on a team where he can kind of roam and be a great offensive rebounder, a great rim runner in transition. And they're look they really forced to throw the ball to him on the inside and, and allow for him to play one-on-one basketball. I just don't think that's a strength of his game at this point in his career. Um, a great supportive player, again, a guy that can rebound the ball um, as well as anyone we've seen, but his lack of skill, his lack of ability to be able to pass when he's double teamed really holds his team back. Um, it's as different a team I've seen Coach Calipari have. I think Coach Calipari is a great coach. I know people try to slam him out there. But you don't win as many games as you've been able to win unless you're able to win some battles coaching wise. I just when I watch their team play, I think he's still trying to figure out how they can score the ball consistently, trying to figure out what lineups to play and who to play with. Um, you know, sometimes you have years like that as a coach when, you know, your top four guys just aren't that much better than the bottom four guys. And I feel like they're struggling with that right now at Kentucky.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Oscar Shiboy, he's the first reigning national player of the year to return to school since Tyler Hansborough in 2009 and I feel like he went into this season with crazy high expectations of himself as he should and really for this whole Kentucky team but going into this season our last memory of Kentucky was them uh, losing in shocking fashion to St. Peter's as a number two seed in the NCAA tournament and I think for me the thing that's so surprising with this Kentucky team is that even though last year ended in disastrous fashion and over the past few years They've had some hiccups here and there that we haven't always seen with Kentucky under John Calipari. But I look at this game last night, and South Carolina, they're shooting 55% from three. They're out-rebounding Kentucky by four. Kentucky as a team is shooting 7 of 14 from the free throw line, and as a team, they only had nine total assists. When I see a lot of these numbers – It's hard for me not to question just the overall effort of Kentucky. And it's crazy for us to say that a D1 SEC basketball team is not playing as hard as they can. But I don't know about you, but when I watch this team, I just think they need more effort. They need better effort. And when I watch uh, Oscar Shibwe, he came to the podium last night after the game, and he kind of repeated this message saying, we want to play guys who give the best effort as possible. So The great thing about having you on here with us today is you get to tell us these things from a coach's perspective and what you see, which is not something we get to hear often. So when you watch Kentucky and really just basketball overall, like when you how do you determine like effort and and if that is an issue? And as a coach, how do you fix that if you're just trying to get more fight out of your guys?
1: Well, I think there's a couple components that are happening right now with Kentucky. Um, You know, I never really questioned the effort because I believe all those guys really want to win. But sometimes things can get in your way of your effort. I mean, when you watch the game last night, you notice the emotion in the building from the fan standpoint. There was a nervousness that was exhibited, that, that was there in the building. The players, a thousand percent, feel this nervousness. It wasn't this raucous, rough arena crowd that we're used to having when an opposing team comes in. So the fans were nervous, the players were nervous. And when you're playing on one of these top programs, it's different because you're expected to perform at a certain level. You know, it's easier for uh, St. Peter's or 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 South Carolina last night to come in and be be the hunter. But it's different when Kentucky and their players are now seen as they have to, now they're being hunted and maybe they're not at that level yet. So when I watch them play, I think there's an emotional component that's going on with their team. Um, they feel the expectation. They feel like they're not living up to that expectation. So it becomes this like re- repeating factor that keeps keeps emerging. And when you're playing with lack, when you're playing with a a nervousness in that emotion, your confidence is going to waver. It's like you're sitting there, you're waiting for for the game where every shot goes in, and you know those games never never truly exist. So that's the first thing when I watch that. You know, we used to always talk about mental, emotional, physical brains, right? You you have three brains basically working at the same time, sort of an analogy that we use with our team. And the part that I'm seeing is the emotional part of the game right now is leaking into the physical part and maybe holding them back from playing as hard as they can play. Because to play hard, you have to have clarity. To play hard, you have to have to be clear where you're going, what you're attacking. I know John Kyle Perry preaches being on the glass as much as anybody I've ever seen when I've watched him practice stuff. So I know he's preaching the effort. He's preaching the little things. It's now time for this for this Kentucky team, a younger Kentucky team, in that environment to understand that they've got to take it to another level so they can play clear, clear-minded. clear They're much better than what they've played. So, again, I don't want to challenge their effort, but I think they got to get their emotion out of the way so they can go be the players that they can be.
0: Yeah, another thing that I didn't mention off the top was there was actually a fan that came to Rupp Arena last night with a sign that said, go back to Texas. And he got thrown out of the building for that. I don't know if there's ever been a scene or an atmosphere like that in Rupp Arena where as soon as you walk into the building, it was just tight. And as you said, like you could tell really from the beginning of that game, Kentucky, they they were playing a little nervous. They didn't really uh, look like themselves. It just felt to me that something has been a little bit off. And maybe that has something to do with what's going on behind the scenes, the stuff that we don't really know about especially this time of year, just about the midway point through the season, there are always going to be things in that locker room that you're going to have to take care of. You know, the, there are a lot of new players on this team from transfers. Uh, we know what the deal is with the NIL, which is a great thing, but a lot of times that could cause some rifts uh, behind the scenes in the locker room. Another note uh, from the game last night, Casein Wallace, Kentucky's top freshman, he only played – eight minutes left early due to an injury so there are just a lot of moving parts with this Kentucky team there's a lot of things for them to figure out and South Carolina they played really well last night credit to Lamont Paris first year coach and uh, the job he's doing over there but they just lost by 40 points to Tennessee it felt to me coach that this could be just a rock bottom moment for Kentucky this season and It's already felt like we've experienced this like a rock bottom moment, like a bunch of times they lose to Michigan state in the champions classic in a game that they really should have won, but they couldn't close it out. They then play against Gonzaga in uh, Spokane. They lose that game by a lot. They play UCLA at Madison square garden. Didn't really show up for that game. Missouri, like how many times could we just keep watching this Kentucky team and expect something to change? Because I'm kind of at that point right now where I'm wondering if it's even possible for this Kentucky team to turn it around because they clearly have no confidence. And still I've yet to seen them play in a really big game at their best and show up.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, university of Georgia just won a national championship two days ago when we're recording this and Caesars already, already has them, you know, X percent chance of winning a national championship next year. I just think it's interesting with the preseason rankings, you know, as a coach, I just sort of look at it. Like, what do they even mean? Um, you know, like, for Georgia, for example, we don't know who's gonna be on their team. You know, when Kentucky was picked top ten in the top ten last year, we didn't know who's gonna be on their team, right? And so I think sometimes the preseason rankings can give such a false expectation of where a team can be because we're making these assumptions based off the, the name on the front of the jersey that they're a top ten team. I think if we really would have sat back and looked at it, we would have had the same question marks that we have right now. I'm sure Coach Cal and his staff had the same question marks when they looked at their team. I mean, you recognize when you have a top 10 team that's talented at a certain level and you recognize when you don't, you know, when you have a team that's going to have to work themselves into that. I don't believe when you looked at that roster last year, you know, going into the season, I would have said, oh, it's going to be a top 10 team. Um, So I don't look at their progression right now or or digression at all and go, oh, you know, this isn't where they are. I just think they're a team that's in that 16 to 35 range that's going to have to try to find their way and build themselves into it. You know, when you looked at Oscar Sheway last year, you looked at all his stats. But, again, I think you should look at how many times he misses the first shot and makes the second one or rebounds three shots in a row. Like, those are low-percentage opportunities. And eventually, you're going to miss enough to lose games. Um, You can't count on someone being able to miss a five-foot duck in and then get an an off-the-rebound, off-the-rebound, finish. You know, those are three shots that should have been cleared out on the first one. So when you play a Drew Timmy, he's not missing the first one. So, you know, I didn't expect them to beat uh, uh, Gonzaga because Gonzaga's best player is more efficient than Kentucky's best player. Um, But I think from a fan standpoint, it's easy to look at it because you're saying, well, Kentucky should beat Gonzaga. But Gonzaga plays a really efficient way and their best player is super efficient. And and I think I'm not putting all on Oscar Shibwe, but a big part of it is I think we've kind of overblown his dominance in the efficiency areas. Um, but certainly a guy that the way he can dominate a game, offensive rebounding and being physical, running the floor and blocking shots, there's certainly a way that he can do that. And, and they're going to need to figure that out as they go along and to find a way to move the ball. You talked about the assist numbers the other night. That's more scary to me because the assist numbers mean, means that the ball's moving side to side. It means that guys are trusting one another. Those speak louder than nine assists a game. That's how many times we created for someone else, did had an unselfish act, and created something really easily for another teammate.
0: Yeah, and looking at the upcoming schedule for Kentucky, it's not really going to get much easier. Their next game is Saturday on the road in Knoxville against a very good Tennessee team, the same Tennessee team that actually just beat South Carolina by 40 points. They will host Georgia, host Texas A&M, go to Vanderbilt, and host Kansas. So Kentucky is really going to need to take at least a few of these games if they really want to cement themselves as a clear-cut NCAA tournament team. Coach, the other thing from the box score last night that really stood out to me was Michi Johnson for South Carolina, right? He was their best player last night, really the best player on the floor, period, shooting 6 of 10 from 3. And Kentucky as a team shot 3 of 10 from 3, and their starting 5 only attempted 1-3 for the entire game. And John Calipari did give C.J. Frederick the transfer from Iowa a little bit more time on the floor than usual. But when we watch this Kentucky team, this is another thing where there it just something feels off. Something isn't right. And when you have your entire starting lineup and again, Case and Wallace, he left early uh, with an injury when they're only shooting one three for the entire game combined. Is that a confidence thing? Is that does that go back to what we were uh, talking about earlier with just the overall nerves in the building considering Kentucky knows this really is a game they should win but considering their uh, some of their past efforts you know they haven't came through so when you see stats like that on a box score I know we can't tell everything from a box score you're gonna have to watch some of the game but when you see some of these I don't want to I don't know if I should call them red flags but things that just stand out to us like I don't know if there's an easy answer in terms of how you fix this and something's going on and I'm trying to figure it out what it is
1: <laughs> yeah you know I, I think it's concerning because they only had the 10 three-point attempts but it's more concerning because it's like how are they creating those three-point attempts and you know as a coach I'd go in and I'd look and see where were they where were they taking a lot of shots from I remember a pretty good number of mid-range shots last night I'm sure those percentages are lower on the mid-range um, which usually you know honestly coach Kyle's teams make mid-range jumpers and they have really good players that sort of make those and um, you know, I know analytically it says it should be dunks or threes, but if a guy can sh- can make you know fifty-five plus percent from the mid range, you know, it's usually a pretty good shot, a guy, a shot that I would allow a guy to take. You know, but last night they just really, really weren't going in. And there were some there were some weird ones where guys kicked the ball out and guys were taking sort of like seventeen foot jumpers instead of being in the corner and not really having great spacing. Um, a large part of that I think is just the offense of being able to know exactly where you're getting your shots from. And again, I think that's just an example of Kentucky's still trying to find their way. I think one of the biggest biggest things we're gonna probably see in, in the near future is them really trying to get out and transition more. Uh South Carolina really made them play in the half court, really slowed the game down. For me watching, I'm saying they've got to get out in transition and get to the front of the rim and put pressure on the paint early in the shot clock. You know, when you have inexperienced guys who haven't played a ton together, you talk about Frederick coming back, really getting his first action in a while. There's gonna be some, you know, there's gonna be some um You know, some spots where you're not going to be great just because you haven't done it in a while. But getting out in transition and letting those athletes get out there, I think, really matters. Now, Wallace has been one of their best players all season long. I love his game. I love his ability to stretch it. I think he gives him a calmness on the floor where he's only going to attack when he's got an open opportunity. He's got a real clarity how he plays the game. So losing him is a big, big loss for them, especially when you're looking at a team that that doesn't have, you know, 10 McDonald's All-Americans. So losing a guy like that who plays with that kind of clarity and plays simple, that really does matter. You know, he can also, he's also an elite defender. So now you're taking, you know, him and he can guard Gigi Jackson, he can guard anyone that you need to, and he does a great job. You lose that, a a good two-way player like that, it affects your team, and I thought we saw that a pretty good bit last night.
0: Absolutely. I think it's a really good point you made about them having to get out and transition, because that's something right off the bat that could give them a little bit more confidence. And especially in their next game this week, they're going to go on the road to Tennessee. Rick Barnes and the Vols, one of the best defensive teams in the country. So it's not really going to be uh, easy to go into there and get buckets. But another thing I noticed about Kentucky last night, is South Carolina really controlled things from start to finish in this game, which is still surprising. They got off to a 13-2 lead and really never looked back from there. But Kentucky made a few runs. They even cut cut it to as little as three late in the game. And, like, obviously the main story coming out of this game is going to be Kentucky and uh, how they lost this game as pretty big favorites. But overall, when you're going on the road as a coach and you have a team, even no matter what the game is, in a game that – you think you could win in a game that maybe maybe not many people expect you to win and you're playing well, but all of a sudden you know like inevitably that other team that you're facing, they're gonna make a run. And Kentucky did that a ton of times last night, but they were never able to close the gap and, and to tie the game and retake the lead. When you're coaching a team on the road in a situation like that, do you direct your players to to take to control the game a little bit differently, just to play smarter? When you're in a situation like that, how do you avoid the other team making that inevitable run.
1: Well, you know, first of all, when you look at Kentucky, their their inability to make outside shots that directly correlates with my worry if I'm up and they're making a run. Um, I know that if they've got a they've got to get to the front of the rim or they've got to throw the ball inside, the 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 opportunity for them having an easy shot to do that is really limited. Um you know, a guy like like Frederick is is really valuable to them cuz he can stretch the defense. Um, so if I'm on the opposing side and I think they're going to make a run, I'm looking directly at, can they space the floor? You know, can they create some penetration to kick threes? Can they score in transition quickly? Those things scare you more as a coach than anything. If you get got a team that's not a great half-court team and you're up five, you know, you're going to win the game because they're not a great not half-court team. They're not going to be able to create for one another. So your, your level of worry is low when you're running, you're facing a team like that, but when you're facing a team that can space it out and just maybe hasn't gotten going yet, but you know they have the ability to, that's pretty dangerous. Um, And so if I'm LeBron Perez he's doing an amazing amazing job of establishing his style of play, controlling the tempo on the road, controlling the tempo better and better as the year goes on, Um, I think he did an outstanding job of just managing the game. That timeout that he took late, it was a loose ball on the sideline right in front of him. At the end of the game, he got a quick timeout. That's, pro- that's, a, that's a game-changing play right there because that ball goes out of bounds. Kentucky gets it. They have an opportunity to go and score and win the game. He gets the timeout with the ref right there in front of them. That's a game-changing play. South Carolina takes it out, get fouled, make their free throws. So I just think it's a game where he did a great job controlling the tempo. I just don't think you worry about Kentucky because they can't stretch you. You know They're not pressing you, and they can't stretch you. So if you can't do those things, you know, you've got an opportunity to control the tempo.
0: Yeah, and that's pretty odd. Something we're not really used to when we're watching Kentucky. All of John Calipari's teams have really been able uh, to do those two things. And Kentucky right now sitting at ten and six overall. They uh, they only have one SEC win, which is not ideal. And again, uh, the road doesn't get any easier. But coach, before we move on to some of the other uh, action around college basketball last night, any uh, last thoughts on this Kentucky South Carolina game?
1: You know, I, I think it's it's going to be a point where Kentucky gets a chance to go in and really watch the film and to acknowledge that they got to improve. Um, friction is needed to find optimal performance. So these sort of low-marking points can really help the right kind of team. If they're mature enough to accept where they are, it's going to give Coach Calipari a great opportunity in practice here to really say, all right, now, now we know where we are. We know where we stand. Let's get through the BS. And let's go be the team that we can become.
0: Absolutely. So moving on to another game and another team that – has really stood out to me over the course of this college basketball season. It's Jerome Tang and his Kansas State Wildcats. They picked up a big victory last night over Oklahoma State at home. They won that game 65 to 57 and Kansas State is now 15 and one. Overall, they've won nine games in a row. And Coach, the thing about Kansas State that really impressed me in this game, right? Their last two games, they go on a two-game road trip to the state of Texas, and they beat Texas in Austin. They score 116 points in that one. And then on Saturday, what a moment for Coach Tang going on the road to Baylor against his former boss of a very long time in Scott Drew. And Kansas State wins that game in overtime, 97-95. to And... I don't want to call last night's game a trap game, considering every game in the Big 12 conference is important. None of those games are going to be easy. But I was really impressed with Kansas State's ability coming back home after winning those two games on the road in pretty tough fashion. And then they go down at halftime last night. They were actually down two points to Oklahoma State going into the break and Kansas State was ranked number 11 in the country uh, right now. Keep in mind, this is a Wildcat team that was picked to finish last in the Big 12 preseason poll, and this kind of goes back to the point you made earlier about preseason rankings and just how little they matter. But I'm not going to lie, Coach, like this Kansas State team, seeing them come right off those two wins – it, it was really impressive because it shows you that they know what it takes to win. Even though they were losing going into the break, they just took care of business, and that's what good teams do. And especially considering this is a first-year head coach in Jerome Tang with a ton of new players, I'm really impressed by uh, this Kansas State team.
1: You know, I, I, last offseason, I did a ton of work looking at NBA teams, looking at the transfer portal, looking at the marketing transfer, and I thought Keontae Johnson was one of the most valued, should have been, one of the most valued transfers on the market. And it was a gamble. He'd been hurt. He'd been out for two years. There's obviously a health concern there. With every transfer, there's a concern. There's something that you've got to f- kind of figure out. And so when I would talk to coaches around the country, they'd say, hey, we're looking for this 6'6 to 6'9 wing that can play multiple positions. And I would say, well, Keontae Johnson. And, you know, I'd say, like, you know, look at his film from Florida. Look at what he's been able to do. He's been out two years. And now he's more mature um, I would sort of point to that. I was like, if, you know, if your doctors would go through the medical part, you know, what I was hearing, I'm hearing the seven, five, seven, I was hearing he was healthy, that his doctors were cleared him. And, and so I, th- I think starting there with, I really feel like they got the, one of the biggest steals of the transfer portal. And this kind of goes to my point about the portal where I think so many teams, and you're seeing this with some of these high major teams, they're not doing their homework in the portal. They're just taking a guy, and hey, we need a shooter. So we take a guy who shot 42% at a low major opportunity. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that he won't necessarily shoot 42% for you, but it, you should look more deeper into it. You look at a guy like Keontae Johnson, a guy who played productively at Florida, and he's going to be an NBA player at the end of that year. He's projected to be an NBA guy. So his value on the portal, and people were scared to take him, scared to do the research. And I was thinking, wow, this guy can be a game changer for somebody. It's great that he's at Kansas State because you see that he ha- finds ways to dominate the game as a ball mover, as a defender, as a rebounder on the break, finishing in the half court. They trust him in the middle when teams are playing zone on them. So I thought that was, that's been really key for them, for their style of play and how they want to play. Getting up and down, playing really quick. So am I surprised that they're 15-1 and one? I'm surprised they're that dominant, but I thought they had a great offseason and who they added onto the roster, and therefore I'm not as surprised. If you can add someone who's experienced with a high level of talent with not a lot of work in the recruiting side of it, you've got the opportunity to be pretty good. Keontae Johnson's really proven dividends for that Kansas State team.
0: Absolutely. And it's such a great story because this guy was the preseason SEC player of the year going into that 2021 season at Florida. And we all know what happened to him, unfortunately, collapsing on the court. We didn't really know what his basketball future held. And Jerome Tang and Kansas State, they take a chance on him. And all of a sudden, he's in real contention for Big 12 player of the year this year, which is just such an awesome story. And... Yeah, like
1: Can you imagine if Kentucky had taken him where they would be? Like, he's just such a dominant player. And it's just because Kansas State did their homework. They just listened and talked to doctors and figured out what they needed to do. And like you said, they got a preseason SEC Player of the Year at the in July still available. So, I mean, it's credit to them for doing the homework. I think when Coach Tang got there, he says, I get it from the mud. You know, that's what he said in his first. And that's what he's doing with his roster. He's working it working at working the, the portal, working the transfers. And it's just done a great job. Sorry to cut you off there, but it's just, no it's a remarkable job when someone does their homework and then they're rewarded for it.
0: Absolutely. Let's stay on that because that's a really interesting point. Uh, doing homework on transfers. We know just how important and how uh, big of a thing the transfer portal has become in today's modern version of college basketball. And from a coach's perspective, I think it's, it would be easy for a lot of people to just say, Oh, we need a shooter and just look at percentages no matter where they played, like you said, and uh, just assume to plug them in. But when you say homework, like what exactly do you mean by that? Is it just watching more game film? Is it looking more at the advanced numbers to see what exactly they do well? How do you build the best uh, team and, and figure out, okay, which transfer would be the best fit here?
1: You know, I think numbers, numbers give you part of the story. You know, we run into problems when we try to make numbers everything. Um, you know, what I'm looking at, you know, we would go through this process with a recruited player, you recruit a guy in high school for two years, you'd see, you know, X number of high school games, a billion AAU games, right? You'd have all those different opportunities. You'd have a chance to go in and sit with their high school teachers and find out how they respond to failure, how they respond to being successful in class. How do they do, how do they respond in a class where they don't really want to do it? You know, do they still show up every day and give great effort? So you do all this homework with your high school players. It's a two-year process of trying to figure out not just who the best player is, but who the best fit is for, for how you like to coach them. And then you get to the transfers, and and people are just taking transfers without doing the homework on them, without asking those kind of questions. Like, why can't you take a transfer and do all the same work that you would have done for a high school kid? Go back to his teachers of junior year, senior year. Just get all this information about who the person is, you know, what you're looking at for a transfer, yes, you have some data about how they perform. But if, we're, if you're a team that runs four round one, and now you're bringing them to a team where you run three round two, that's a huge difference in, in performance and opportunity. You know, we were a team, you know, I had six high major transfers leave from Mount St. Mary's. I had a few leave from GW. We brought in a bunch from GW. Matching the system with the player is as important as anything. You know, we had we had a position that would always shoot 300, 350 plus threes every year. So every year a high major would come in and say, man, we love your three, man. Well, I'm like, are you going to let them shoot 353s a year? Because that confidence, be able to get that many shots up, allows them to miss and make and be able to return and be better for us. But if you're only going to allow them to take you know, 200, 150 when he's open, then that percentage is going to be different because you're going to be yanking him in and out of the lineup. So I think when you look at the transfer, if you want to do a great job of it, you're going to do your homework by first knowing who you are, what works for us, what kind of players. Every offseason, someone says, well, we need a stretch four. But you look at the last five years that head coach, ten years that head coach, they never had a four-man that was a stretch four. They never had a four-man that that made more than 43s in a season. So them adding a stretch forward is really it really has no value. Because they're not going to know how to use that player. Um it's no difference when like, you know, the Lions had Barry Sanders and he likes to run, you know, two tight ends, two wide receivers, no fullback. And they've hired Bobby Ross, and Bobby Ross want to have a fullback in there and then Barry Sanders didn't have any space to run. So matching the player with the system is super important. And so I think knowing who you are, knowing what you need, what's expected and then using the number, the data, and the homework to figure out does this person fit. I think is really important. You see a lot of teams being irresponsible, just adding players who fit a, who who've who've done one one aspect really well, and then they don't get that on the back end. That's why you are seeing a lot of these high major teams struggling because they've really taken some transfers that were good transfers, but not great for them.
0: Absolutely, and a lot of times a transfer will look good on paper, but it's all about that fit. How well. Uh, do you fit into that system? Because that's obviously going to be a huge key. Another thing with Kansas State that I really like, uh, what Jerome Tang did, is he really prioritized adding winners, transfers that have came from winning programs. I know that was a concern with Texas last year. They added a lot of these really talented transfers, Timmy Allen and Christian Bishop and Devin Askew, but not a lot of them necessarily came from winning programs. And it was clear at times last season that not all of them we're on the same page, and I look at this Kansas State team. They add uh, Desi Sills from Arkansas, who made an elite eight with them a few years ago. I love how Jerome Tang really just put a priority on adding guys with that certain quality from the portal, and I think that goes back to what you just said about you know looking for those certain qualities from certain guys that you're about to add.
1: I agree completely. You know, I mean, you know, I was in Washington D.C. You know, Georgetown added a bunch of transfers in there. Some of those guys won where they were, and a lot of those guys didn't win where they were before. Um, I think winning is super important. There's certain things that you win that you learn in good programs. You know, we always try to add players. You know, our transfer that we brought in, we brought in one player from Vanderbilt who had started at Syracuse. We played for Jim Beheim, a legendary coach, and Matt Moyer. We brought in James Bishop. We played at LSU, a really good team that he had there with Coach Will Wade. We added Joe still who played at Virginia Tech former top 75 player in the country. We had an Ira Lee who played at Arizona. Like we were hunting out these guys who played for really good head coaches in really demanding environments because we felt like that was going to give us a big jump. Now that we get all those guys on the floor together, we weren't able to. And that's just sort of the story that i will be told. But it was intentional that we wanted to add players that were coached well, that were coached hard, and that won a lot. And when, like you said, when you look at the Kansas State roster, that's what they did. And they're seeing the benefits of that there's certain things you you learn when you're in a winning environment. You learn about sacrifice. You learn about, um, you know, you learn about sacrifice. You learn, you learn how to play the game. You learn how to be a great teammate. And those things are super important. There's also certain things you lose when you're in a winning environment. I mean, when you're in a losing environment, you know, you kind of learn the opposite of all those things and you become a lot of times in a survival mode, which is the opposite of thriving and winning.
0: Definitely. And I think that's very important too. Like something that, a lot of people from the outside will not always understand and you're seeing the results again it's just so crazy with this Kansas State team it was only a few years ago that this team was you know towards the bottom of the Big 12 and Everything just seemed lost. Last year, they finished ninth in the league. And with a new head coach and a bunch of new players, all of a sudden, that environment around the program has really turned. And we know from years past, like Kansas State, that building was on fire last night. Marquise Noel is looking like Steph Curry uh, shooting threes. That Johnson-Noel duo is one of the most exciting uh, duos in the country to watch, but Coach, we only have a little bit more time left before we get out of here. I just wanted to give you the floor. Like we all watched a bunch of hoops last night; it was great. Was there anything else that really stood out to you that you would want to hit on before we get out of here?
1: You know, I really enjoyed watching Wisconsin play Michigan State. Um, two teams I will definitely be in the NCAA tournament conversation. Not sure why Wisconsin isn't isn't rated a little bit higher. I know they lost Michigan State last night, but it's just an incredible battle. I do believe watching the teams play around the country, that Wisconsin's ability to score the ball is going to be a major factor come March. Um, what what Coach Gard has been able to do with moving the swing offense into this century has been really neat, adding in some ball screens to pick and rolls, but also keeping some of the fundamentals that they did within that offense. It's been really fun to watch. Michigan State is just always just so tough and so physical, and they're built to win really close games because of how they play, and Izzo's so good at changing things up So I really enjoyed watching those two teams battle it out. Um, Both those teams, I do believe, have a chance to be Sweet 16-ish level because of their toughness, because of how they play, and especially Wisconsin's ability to make shots. Um, And then also, you know, just a, a huge appreciation for, you know, guys like Bill Self at Kansas. You know, he's taken a team, you know, it wasn't too long ago where Kansas was playing a style of play where. Um, I guess Kansas was two nights ago, but where Kansas was playing a style play where they played two bigs and threw the ball inside and played a little bit slower. And now they're really driving and kicking the ball out and playing with a lot of freedom. Um, it's just been a lot of fun to watch the very best coaches and how they've been able to adjust to their roster with the way things have changed with the portal and guys being able to transfer in and out. And, you know, basketball is really at its best right now because coaches are really having to show their skill and their talent. It's going to be a great end of the year um, because anyone can really win this thing. And and there are still some teams that are yet to play their very best.
0: Absolutely. Uh, going back to Wisconsin, I love how they just never make any excuses, right? They lose Johnny Davis, an NBA draft lottery pick uh, from last season. Then this year, Tyler Walls banged up. He hasn't played the last few games. And here's Wisconsin. I know they lost last night, but I agree with you 100%. They're definitely a team to watch going forward. And all of a sudden, Michigan State, they're not ranked right now, but they've won seven games in a row, and they have a big test coming up on Friday at Illinois. But Coach Christian, wanted to say again, thank you so much for joining me. We're really looking forward to having you on my show, Aaron's uh, show throughout the season, and I had a great time talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Appreciate it. Looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely. That was another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast, presented by Betfred Sports.